turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Here to begin today's broadcast of Way of Grace, our teacher and pastor, Jessica Stan. He saved us to take us to glory. And so for the people of God, we are on a journey. We have not arrived yet. We're still passing through the mountains and hills and nooks and crannies and caves and valleys of life. We have not reached glory yet, but we're headed there. And wouldn't you want to be as prepared for glory as you possibly could? Last week, we spent time here on Way of Grace looking at John chapters 9 and 10 and the fact that Jesus calls himself the door. Well, today, we want to dial in some specifics. We took a look at the specifics of what this door was, who it was, and why he exists. But now, we're going to be specific about the existence of this door and for whom, the life of the sheep. John chapter 10 is where we're at, verses 7 through 18. Uh, The manner of the sheep, the method of the shepherd, and he is, in fact, the door of their salvation. That's all straight ahead throughout the rest of this week. Join us. Here's Pastor Jessica Stan and today's broadcast of Way of Grace. So as we are dealing with John chapter 10 under the motif and the analogy and metaphor of the role of a shepherd in the life of the sheep, we have moved from last week's opening uh, reflection and meditation upon Christ's exclamation in John 10, 7 and 9, I am the door. I am the door to a more fuller development of it today. And that is, I am the door of life for the sheep, an expanded proposition that we want to work through now. And if you recall, last week I shared with you that the Lord Jesus Christ showed us how he had to first enter into the door before he became the door. He had to first enter into the door, which is verse 2 of John chapter 10, which plainly says that the porter will not open the door to anyone but the shepherd of the sheep. And when we worked that through last week, we discovered that Christ is the only one that was able to enter into the world of humanity based upon the requisite of God in order for him to be the means by which lost humanity could be brought out of the fallen pen or the pen of fallen human beings in Adam. Christ is the only one who has entered into this world obeying all of God's commands, fulfilling his calling, fulfilling scripture, and suffering under God's wrath to open the door to lost sinners that they might come out. He first entered into the door of humanity, and once entering in, he began to call his sheep. And according to John chapter 10, 3 and 4, he calls his sheep, and his sheep hear his voice. And they come, he leads them out of the painful 
pen of providence. You remember I said that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Is that Isaiah's text? All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Is that the Bible? There's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Is that the Bible? And so the Bible tells us through one man did sin enter into the world and death has passed upon all because all have what? All have what? And what does the word all mean? And as a consequence, there's none that could go through the front door but Jesus himself. And Jesus went through the front door because God called him to go through the front door. And he went through the front door of perfect obedience to all of God's law at the level of demonstration so that those who are God's sheep, having been lost in the world, could hear his voice when he begins to call them out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I shared with you last week that there is a specific way in which lost sheep begin to hear the voice of the shepherd. And that is through the word of God. It is the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the word of God, particularly the preaching of Christ, by which you and I begin to hear our shepherd's voice. We do not hear him in a saving way other than through the preaching of the gospel. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that grace is brought to you in the gospel. It is the grace that is Christ, which is given to you and I by faith when we believe on Jesus as the Son of God. That's a simple introduction to what Christ meant when he says the porter will not open the door to anyone but the shepherd of the sheep. Now, vision yourself, envision yourself if you're yet lost in a pen with all sorts of other lost sheep, because that's where you are. You are lost. So long as you don't know Jesus, you are a lost sheep. Now, you, be, you might well be lost in a comfortable manner on the hillsides of this world, having somehow learned to manage and have provided for yourself an income, and you may even well have a good reputation among your fellow sheep. But you're all still lost sheep. See, and we don't even know we're lost until God begins to draw us to himself. He begins to re reveal to us our condition and then show us our need and then reveal to us the solution, which is in Jesus. And those of us who have been brought out of the painful fold of providence, the darkness of sin, the pain of addiction, the blindness of our own prejudices, the consequences of our fallen nature by which we have made tons of wrong choices. Haven't we? Tons of wrong choices. As the psalmist says, man at his best estate, at his best estate, those of us who may have acquired degrees and have become accomplished in all sorts of fields and even our fellow human being will applaud us. But what is the applause of the world if you don't know God? What doth it profit a man if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Riches cannot profit you in the day of evil. Riches cannot deliver your soul from hell. And riches do not open the door of the heart to see God's glory and to find the light that leads you out of that painful pen of providence into the free, broad 
infinite fields of grace that are found in Jesus. It was Christ who entered into that door and he began to call us, did he not? And his calling was unique. It was peculiar to us because as he said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them by name. And God began to deal with us when we were lost. Is that not so? And next thing we know, we were moving in a direction by the grace of God to follow his word as we're about to see. And it brought us to the place where we come to know him as our savior and as our Lord. And so our Lord Jesus Christ is explaining now in John chapter 10, for those of you who really are familiar with your Bible, as he's standing around, he's talking to a bunch of people now, standing around in a religious context, and he's talking to rulers, he's talking to lawyers, he's talking to scribes, and he's talking to common people. Among the people with whom he's speaking, the vast majority are his enemies. This is why we have said for so many years, do not depict Jesus as some milk toast, wimpy individual who was not bold, confident. And in fact, he was bolder than any man. Now, don't take the boldness that we are ascribing to Christ as some kind of arrogant, pompous type of insensitive aggression. We've got that going on in our culture today with leaders, right? And they become problematic for us in terms of what we recognize should be civil um, characteristics that are able to occupy the office in a fashion that can bring people to a place of understanding. But we all know the turbulence that comes from an individual who is braggadocious, over the top, and really selling himself beyond what he paid for, right? I'm talking about all sorts of people are like that. Our master was not like that. He was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. He was the meekest man in all the earth, yet he was still a consuming fire. And as such, when men and women met that consuming fire on any uh, given circumstance or event, they discovered that they were meeting with more than a man. And he let them know that in order for them to know that there's hope in the world. And so our Lord Jesus Christ in this context not only lays out how his sheep come to him, which we'll revisit for a moment here, but he is now laying out before the whole world and the public eye this truth about the exclusive nature of the intimacy between the great and good and chief shepherd and the sheep whom his father has given him from before the foundation of the world to lead them out of hell through this world in a fashion that bring God, brings God honor and to land them safely on the shores of glory so that his sheep know no more the sorrow and the tears and the pain and the suffering that goes on in this life. Don't we suffer? Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. I want you to look at verses 15 through 17 with me. The book of Revelation is an ominous book. It's apprehending, but it's also enormously comforting for God's people. And that's the truth with anything. But in Revelation 17, we, de- we have here described the Lord Jesus Christ as the shepherd of the sheep, leading his sheep to the place of which the vast majority of our world disagrees with, and that is heaven. At the present time, our, our modern world, which is a postmodern world, because of its learning, 
does not really believe in an afterlife that constitutes a kind of blissful eternity in the presence of God and experiences beyond our comprehension for which the term has been constantly used both in the Bible and among Christians and beyond heaven, which is a topic I have promised that we would enter into at some point here real soon because I believe it's a doctrine that is denied today the healthy sort of introspection and and mental awareness of the people of God. I don't know if you know it, but he saved us to take us to heaven. He saved us to take us to glory. And so for the people of God, we are on a journey. We have not arrived yet. We're still passing through the mountains and hills and nooks and crannies and caves and valleys of life. We have not reached glory yet, but we're headed there. And wouldn't you want to be as prepared for glory as you possibly could? Wouldn't you want to be as informed theologically and intuitively and mentally as you possibly could for that final door? through which you must enter? Wouldn't you want to be prepared for that? Where our Lord lays it out. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to that place or my Father but by Him. And here's the language of Revelation 15 as we get ready to work through our text that I want you to to sort of just think about, reflect upon, cogitate, excogitate, talk about it, chew it up as it were. Meditate upon these words here relative to your final destiny. Therefore are they before the throne of God. That's the final goal of the people of God. And they will serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sits on the throne shall dwell among them. That's the ultimate objective. Teleos is the term for God. That God would be their God and they would be his people. And that he would dwell with them and they with him forever. With no curse or no threat of separation ever again. Doesn't that sound good? Look at verse 16. They show hunger no more. Sometimes we get hungry, don't we? Not us Westerners, but many of our brothers and sisters do. Neither shall they thirst anymore, right? And so again, as I speak to us as Westerners, a lot of the promises in the Bible don't really hit us because we are so well to do. But maybe God will give you an exercise of faith in one of these categories, maybe during the course of this week, and then you'll remember this message. God's been good to us, has he not? We get to eat every day, right? Without anxiety, without thought. I mean, we eat well in America. And we never, ever really worry about water. As much as water is a problem in our world, we are pretty free of contaminants that could destroy us in the area of water, again, because of technology. Count your blessings. But it wasn't always so in the world. And it's not always so in many parts of the world. In many parts of the world, they don't even have water. It has to be shipped in. And that's a major, a major task for even missionaries to actually get wells into communities that don't have water. Can I get a witness? And so again, when this text speaks of a day where we don't have to worry about that anymore, it's not today. Neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. Verse 17, here it is. For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall do what? And he shall do what? Lead them unto the living fountains of waters. Here it is. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Do you see it? We talked about the uh, paradoxical nature of the shepherd 
who is also the what? Lamb. So there's a lamb shepherd, shepherd lamb that's leading us to the place where we will cry no more. Won't that be a joyous day? Between now and then, you're going to do some crying. Between now and then, you're going to do some hurting. We live in the, the serendipity of a culture, as I have stated so many times as a pastor. One day I'm burying somebody, the next day I'm marrying somebody. One day I'm rejoicing in the birth of a child, same day I'm weeping and crying with someone whose loved one is about to cross over in the Jordan. One day I'm, I'm talking to uh, families about how God has opened the door for a blessing so that they can get a job, same day. I'm talking about families who have lost their jobs and about to lose their home and life is difficult down here. Down here is a lot of pain. Down here is a lot of uncertainty. But there, it's all fixed. And the reason why is the person we're talking about about today, of whom we have to consider one more statement that he makes relative to the office that we want to look at next week. We really do want to understand him more fully and richly and redemptively as our shepherd. But he must let us know that first and foremost, in order for us to know him as our shepherd, we have to know that he was the one came through the door. And then we have to know that he is the door himself by which the sheep go in and out and find pasture and are saved. He wants us to understand the significance of him as the door. You know, We'll have a relationship like that of parents and children. I thought about this earlier. And all of you who are parents, are you are shepherd-like people. Because if you had to raise kids, you know your children are like what? Right. And so as shepherds, you occupy an office by which you have to provide for them, and you have to lead them, and you have to guide them, and try to nurture them until they're grown. Is that true? So remember this, parents, you and I really do occupy many of the offices of Christ for a season with our kids. Uh, and, and so in so doing, we get to help our kids understand the importance of parental roles. That being said, do you know that sometimes you have to become a door for your child? Y'all get that? You have to become a door for your child. In other words, you have to become the means and point of entry for them to enter in. And the means and point of Exit for them to depart out. You have to become the means by which they escape trouble into a quiet, safe, serene place and the means by which they get to exit the home and then become mature and operate on their own as adults. Y'all following me? All right. So I'm moving you closer to the metaphor so that you can appreciate when Christ says, I am the door of the sheep. John chapter 10. You can plop your Bibles down there and I'm going to make my way through this fairly briskly so that we can get this. Verse 7, then said Jesus unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Everyone else that came before me are thieves and robbers. The sheep did not hear them. Verse 9, I am the door of the sheep. Do you see how he's pressing at home? I am the door of the sheep. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And he shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they might have what? And that they might have it more what? Here it is. I 
and the good shepherd. See, now, I don't know if y'all get this, but the Lord Jesus is preaching to the populace and he's really loving what he's saying. He's taking great joy in sharing what he's sharing because there are two audiences that he knows is benefiting from what he's saying. First, the audience of one, his father. Secondly, the elect sheep who hear him set forth such glorious words. He could care a little less about the rest. But he's so happy to tell his father and the world that I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the only shepherd. No one else has made it possible for men and women to be saved and know God but me. That's an amazing statement. See, either you actually have to be the God man or your boasting disqualifies you from being such a communicator because no one can talk like this, use this terminology, except he be Messiah. We are talking about being the means of people's salvation. And he's doing it in a very bold way, is he not? All right then. So here our Lord says something in verse 10 I want to nurture, and then we want to run through our four points. In verse 10, he says, the thief comes not uh, not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have what? And that they might have it more abundantly. Let me quickly express what that truly means. He says, I have come that they might have life in every sense of the word life. I want you to get that. We're not going to do an exegesis. But I do want you to understand that when he says life here, he's not talking about material life. He's not talking bios life. He's not talking about the kind of life where, you know, this is the life. I've got my yacht. I've got my mansion. I've got my millions. That's not, that's not material life. That's not bios life. Bios life is what he talked about in Matthew 6 when he says, what is your life but a vapor? What is your life but a vapor? It comes and it goes. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about you having that kind of life. And so discard the uh, sort of tenor that's put on this text by the word of faith and by the prosperity gospel that asserts that if you get a hold of Jesus right, you can live large. It might very well be that if you get a hold of Jesus right, your life will probably go downhill in many ways. But here's what he's talking about. Not a quality of life in terms of material possession, but a quality of life in terms of what true life was meant to be from the beginning of time, before the fall, when the life of men and women was God himself. That's the life he's talking about. That the life of the believer is God himself. Y'all with me? This is what we call Zoe life. You guys have heard it many times. New Ages named their kids Zoe. I didn't name my kids Zoe. I got a bunch of black kids. They would have had all kinds of tr problems in school with Zoe. What was Zoe? You, you parents be very careful about naming your kids just because you feel good about it. They the one got to wear that name, all right? That's why they start making up their own nicknames because, you know, you don't want to deal with that. But Zoe is a term that is attached to our salvation. And it means the life that comes from God that sustains a man for all eternity. And what Christ is saying here is, I am come that they might have an indestructible life, a life that never ends, a life that starts with God in regeneration and in salvation and abounds by transforming them from the inside out, by renewing their mind, 
by informing their affections, by granting them the ability to make right choices so they live wisely in this world and as they make their way through this world, ultimately ending up in that reward of life called eternal life where God is and where they are with God. Do you guys get that? So watch this now. I am come that they might have life in every sense of the word. And I, I really could part there and work that because what he's saying to you, child of God, is you have at your accessibility a God who is able to make you not only wise unto salvation through a knowledge of Christ, but to give you every necessary tool and supply for you to make your way through this world well for his glory. Such a wonderful time here in God's Word. It's our hope and prayer that you're growing in grace as you take the time to study God's Word with us. We thank you for joining us. This is Way of Grace, the ministry of Grace Bible Church in Hayward. We would leave you with an invitation. If you enjoyed the time you've had with us today studying God's Word, please consider this a formal invitation to join us in person. Sunday services at Grace Bible Church in Hayward are at 11 a.m. Sunday schools at 10. And then, of course, the Friday Bible study. We've got a lot of folks from all over and from a variety of churches joining us Friday evenings at 8 p.m. for this Bible study. You're invited to either one. We're located at 20450 Royal Avenue. That's here in Hayward. And the zip code is 94541. If you're trying to tom-tom us or uh, Google us for the map, you can also get directions at our website, grace-bible.com. Again, that's grace-bible.com. Or simply call for directions, 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. As always, we have CDs available. You can download the messages off our website or call us and order a CD of today's broadcast or any program that you have heard here on Way of Grace. We'd be more than happy to get one out to you. You can call us at 510-886-9782 or stop by our website, grace-bible.com. We do thank you for spending time with us today. Trust we'll see you next time we get together for another broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan.